One of my favorite quotes is actually, if you tell me what you care about, I'll tell you like what you should buy. It depends what you care about of where you want to like spend your dollar in the grocery store. If you are like, oh, I want grass fed because that's, you know, regenerative. You believe in the animal welfare or whatever it may be. Grass fed doesn't necessarily tell you about animal welfare. You can be still in a confined animal feeding operation, so like a CAFO and be grass fed. It doesn't necessarily mean they were out at pasture. Like that's not what that wording means. It's simply telling you what was in the cow's diet. My name is Lisa, mother of eight and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today I'm having on Tara from Discover Ag. It's a podcast with Natalie Koberic. If you remember, was it last year? I had Natalie on and we discussed a lot of the same things that Tara and I are going to discuss today. There's a lot of bad information floating around the internet um, when it comes to being able to share such fast info in our short content, fast paced society with Instagram, TikTok, YouTube shorts, all of that. When it comes to food labels, agriculture, and the two of them together share on their podcast in a very entertaining way, a lot of this information to help demystify and help educate consumers on agriculture. They both come from an agricultural background. Tara has been in the dairy industry from when she was born, I believe she said. So she has a lot of insight on that. Let's dive in and enjoy this chat. All right. Hey, Tara, how are you? I'm looking forward to having you on. I was just listening to you and Natalie's podcast, Discover Ag, and thinking through all the many things that we could talk about on this episode. So let's start with introductions. Tell us about your podcast, your presence online, and what you like to share, your family, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I am a multi-generational dairy farmer, married a dairy farmer, so like very deep roots in dairy farming and ended up uh, actually getting my degree in environmental science. And so that's what led me actually to sharing online as I wanted to be able to share more about what the environmental impact of like dairy and agriculture as a whole was, like what was happening boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. And obviously fast forward like seven plus years that has like evolved and changed and led to me teaming up with Natalie, as you mentioned, and starting our podcast, Discover Ag. And really our goal of Discover Ag is to kind of like bring people that are not in agriculture into ag in like a fun and kind of trendy way, bring in like the pop culture and just like bring ag in like, I guess it's just a completely different way than maybe people have seen it before. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's a very entertaining podcast. I was talking about this with my family last Sunday. We go to my parents' house every Sunday and my sister is also in ag and she loves your podcast. So she was like, you know, telling me all the, all the oh, things I you. needed to know. So yeah, I was, she's apparently a big fan. So I think that probably the biggest thing that your podcast helps to do is educate people on a lot of the myths when it comes to labeling, when it comes to the industry in general. Do you find that there are so many myths going around and people speak on it with a lot of confidence in today's social media world? Yeah, it's kind of crazy the world we live in with labels and just Natalie loves to say um, that, you know, labels, we both are like, they started out in a good place, but now they are absolutely for like a marketing purpose, right? They are not necessarily mm -hmm. to really give you like information about farming practices and what's going on because they just are all over the place with 
with their claims and, you know, absentee claims and all these things. And it's actually something that we are going to be uh, presenting on at South by Southwest in March is uh, the title of our presentation is, is your favorite food influencer fear mongering you? And so you think about these people standing in the grocery store, right? That are like Mm -hmm. constantly those reels (laughs) and those videos that are like just a 10 second sound clip that don't really like get into the nuance of what it means for different farming practice and agriculture and like what the actual ins and outs of different labels are. Yeah, I have grown very weary, like very just tired of the amount of information that's available, how quick it is to get the information out, even whenever. And I'm not going to say like, you know, you have to be an expert in order to share information, obviously. But like you said, there are so many things that you now have to worry about that moms didn't have to worry about back in the day. Like my sisters were telling me just recently that it's a really big thing that you can't touch receipts. And I had not heard of this yet. I'm like, where have you been? I'm like, I don't know, off the internet, I guess. But apparently even touching receipts can really do damage to your health. And with that level of like having to worry about absolutely everything, it almost makes you want to throw up your hands and just say, forget it, I don't care about literally anything, which is another, like, that's a not a good place to be as well. So I think you're right. There's just so much information and a lot of information that isn't, necessarily right either. And we get things that we have to worry about that I never even considered worrying about a decade ago. I'm sure you've noticed the same because you have kids too. Yeah, I do have kids. And I feel like it is like bombarding moms with so much like this is right. This is wrong. Like the receipts one is a new one to me too. Someone just sent that to me recently. And I was like, I did exactly what you said. Like, you're kidding (laughs) me. Like I give up. Like like, everything's killing us. Everyone's trying to kill us. And that is not a healthy place to be either. Right. Like there is probably like a happy medium somewhere in the middle. Um, But I do think as moms, we get it like kind of worse just because of like, it's everything from what we're giving our kids to how we're doing things. And I'm a very recent homeschool. We just started this year with homeschooling. So then I feel like I'm being, you know, now my algorithm is feeding me tons of information about all different kinds of schooling. Like it's just, it's crazy how (laughs) accurate the algorithm is too, for like targeting you with information. Yeah. I feel like because of my age, so I've been homeschooling already for well, I don't know how many years. My oldest is 15. We've always homeschooled uh, the kids. And then also I started researching food products and labels and you know quality things so many years ago now that I'm just kind of over it. Like I have my deeply held beliefs about everything. And it's not that I can't take in new information, but whenever I see things like don't touch a receipt, I'm just like, eh. I can't, I can't go that far. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about labels and what some of the most common misconceptions you hear, which that might be a very broad question. So we could even narrow that down to a particular category, but organic. Okay. Let's do organic because that is one that people get very confused. I was just talking about this with my brother-in-law and my sister about this recently because they farm and they have not gone through the USDA organic certification or whatever, but their practices to me are even better. And I know the practices very well. And so I would way rather get food from them than, you know, have it be organic certified. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about organic and some of the myths surrounding it. Yeah. So for me, I feel like organic is more of a farming practice than like a health claim. And I feel like with organic being like now USDA certified, it is very much to 
in my mind, like I am not an organic farmer, but I do know some organic farmers and it is definitely more of like a check, check the box, right? Like Mm -hmm. you did this, you did this, you did this. And I feel like with this movement a little bit towards like regenerative ag, um, it's funny you said like your sister is not organic, but she has some really great practices. I feel the same way. Like uh, my co-host Natalie, like they are not an organic cattle ranch. They're a conventional cattle ranch, but they have some really great regenerative practices. And so I do think like the organic is, while it is very much like check the box, yes or no, there's an entirely other side of it that is like a spectrum Mm -hmm. of conventional producers that are, you know, along the spectrum at different places of being more, you know, quote unquote sustainable, which I know is a buzzword, but and regenerative is now headed in the same buzzword way that sustainability is, but that they're doing practices on their farm to be like, you know, more sustainable or regenerative to their soils, their cattle, their land, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think there's a huge market for it. My sister was talking about potentially putting some of my dad's farm fields into wheat and einkorn. And and because there's such a market for that, because consumers are becoming more educated, I feel like even just in the last several years, people are very aware of the food labels. But what are some of the more common, other common besides organic misconceptions when it comes to labeling? I know that eggs is a huge one. Those could be really misleading. Yeah, eggs are crazy. I feel like if anyone walks into the egg aisle right now, you're just like instantly overwhelmed with like (laughs) the amount. Like I'm like, I don't think they can fit anything else on the egg carton. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm pretty sure most of them are like not relevant to actually what's happening. Um, But I'll switch into the dairy sector a little bit just because that's my background. I feel like one that is crazy is the RBST. So there's actually officially, I think it was in 2020 was the official date, but somewhere around that time frame is when there is officially no milk on the shelf from cows treated with RBST, like period, hard stop in your fluid milk section. And so that's one of those labels that like people still look for. They have questions about, I've seen videos from, you know, those influencers online talking about RBST and it's like, this is actually like a non-issue anymore. And yet it's still there. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I really realized that I've been getting milk from a farmer or from my own cow for so many years now, I haven't really paid much attention, but that's interesting that that's not even a thing anymore. And I'm assuming that companies still have to put that label on there, even though it wasn't even an issue, just because if people don't see it, they might not even purchase that particular brand. Yep. You're absolutely right. And that people feel like the bottlers, the bottling plant feel like they need to actually still put that label on because people are going to look for it. And people will assume if it's not on there, then it means that it has it. And and that's like one of those issues with labeling, right? Is, you know, you think about like the um, no antibiotics ever when you see it on, you know, something that nothing in that product sector is treated with antibiotics or, or whatever mm. it may be. There's just a <laughs> lot of cases like that where it's like, it, I mean, it's for marketing so that people want to choose that product over another product. Yeah. It used to be that everything was labeled natural. And then we all became very suspect of that. Like, okay, well, everything's natural to an extent, but now it's more sophisticated, but still just as deceptive because there are so many things that we just don't know. And when you see a list of good things on the labels, it makes you think, okay, this is good. I want to interrupt this episode really quick to tell you about a sponsor that I love, Azure Standard. This week, my Azure Standard, my monthly order is coming. The way Azure Standard works is it's a co-op, basically, where you and several other like-minded individuals who prioritize health and quality products pool your order together for discounts, for more direct sourcing, and you meet at a location to 
your Azure standard drop to get these goods into your home. So for example, I have two different Azure standard drop locations within 30 minutes of me. Both would be pretty convenient. I could also start one in my own area if I wanted to. Just to give you an idea of some of the things that I source on Azure Standard that I feel are a really good price that are staples in my kitchen. I got an organic 25 pound bag of all purpose flour. I ordered wheat berries for my mill. I ordered animal feed for our chickens and our dairy cow. So much fresh produce. Azure Standard on their website, you can go through and see what is currently on sale. Usually that will have to do with what is currently in season. So I think I'm getting carrots and apples. I'm trying to remember what else is on my order this time. So much stuff. I planned it to where hopefully I'll have to barely go to the grocery store between our homestead and my Azure Standard order not for, you know, just like a couple times in a month because of how much I planned to put on my Azure order. They also have spices, any bulk grain that you can think of, household products, oil, honey, just about anything you can think of, but with a natural and organic version. You can also get organic dairy like cream, sour cream, cream cheese. Those are some common things that I like to put on our order when our cow isn't in milk so I can find better deals and better sourcing. You can head to azurestandard.com to see where a drop location is near you. There's drop locations all over the country, so likely one very close to you. And use the code SIMPLEFARMHOUSEWINTER10. If you haven't tried it yet, this will give you 10% off, which on top of already having great deals because of buying in bulk and having to be a co-op with other people, you also get that additional 10%. I forgot to mention cheese. I love getting organic and raw cheese and butter on Azure Standard. Again, the code is SIMPLEFARMHOUSEWINTER10. Go to azurestandard.com to check your drop location and order. That's A-Z-U-R-E standard.com. If you aren't familiar, Thanks again to Azure Standard for sponsoring today's episode. So decoding the labels, what are some of the things that people actually should look for? So um, one of my favorite quotes is actually, if you tell me what you care about, I'll tell you like what you should buy. It was um, from uh, Valentine. She's a, a spearfisher online. I don't know if you follow her. Valent- uh, I think it's Valentine Thomas. Anyway, and I think it's such a great quote because I feel like it depends what you care about of where you want to like spend your dollar in the grocery store. I feel like grass fed is like such a great example of that. If you are like, oh, I want grass fed because that's, you know, regenerative, the cows, I, you know, you believe in the animal welfare or whatever it may be. A few things about grass fed. Grass fed doesn't necessarily tell you about animal welfare. Like you can be still in like a a confined animal feeding operation. So like a CAFO and be grass fed. It doesn't necessarily mean they were out at pasture. Like that's not what that wording means. It's simply telling you what was in the cow's diet. And then another thing, I think it's upwards of 75% of our grass fed cattle here in the United States or grass fed beef in the grocery store is imported. So if you're really interested in supporting, you know, American farmers and ranchers, then like maybe grass fed isn't for you, or maybe doing direct to consumer beef would be the best option for you so that you can guarantee it's grass fed and from a U.S., you know, farmer or rancher. And so those are some of the things that I think get like kind of like messy there in the middle of the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. I personally like to, whenever possible, go to a local farm for all the things on my list. That way, 
you know, I don't have to really decode labels because there are no labels. One of the questions we got a lot is about GMOs, genetically modified foods. And I think you and I might have slightly differing opinions on this, but nonetheless, there are facts about GMOs that you talk about a lot on your podcast. So for those who are wondering, what's the difference between GMO and making a hybrid version or modifying in some other way a food? What are the differences between those? Yeah, this is a really great question. Um, we actually did just cover gene editing on the podcast. It's coming. Oh, that cool. podcast episode that's dropping today is talking about gene editing. So oh, really neat. great timing with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there is some differences. I mean, we have been changing crops, right? Doing hybrids, as you said, for thousands of years and picking better mm -hmm. varieties. So the GMO part of it is definitely where you are being selective. Like you are selectively picking things and like placing them into that, that crop is kind of like the basic, like that to me is like the easiest way to kind of explain it. Yeah. And then obviously from there, it gets so much more complicated in details. Um, but yeah, I think that essentially we're kind of like ramping up how fast we're able to pick and select different traits and breeds of things that we want and be able to, you know, whether it be in my mind, one of the big things for GMOs in my area, I'm in New Mexico. So my neck of the woods is pretty dry. So drought tolerant crops, like mm -hmm. having those varieties that are really able to withstand very little water uh, is something that's really important to us. We just have a very limited water supply. And so that's always at forefront of my mind with agriculture and technology and crops is how can we, you know, do more with our crops with less water. Um, and so I think that is one of the benefits on our side of things. Yeah. Yeah. So from what, from my understanding, GMO is something that's done in a lab. They actually are changing the gene of the seed. And then whereas like a hybrid, it would be over time you, you know, you cross these two and then over time you get it ever so slightly better for whatever you're trying to do. And the thing, like the controversial thing is whenever you have a GMO product, so you have corn that was GMO and corn that's not GMO, with like macronutrients and the nutrients, they really do look identical. I think the question comes if there's some effect that we aren't yet understanding to the body that could happen from changing something from the way maybe your body was designed to actually recognize it. I think that's pretty much the controversy with that as far as I understand it. <laughs> Yeah, I think you said that really well. Um, you know, you can hybrid things like natural. I hate using the word natural as we just said. What does that even mean? <laughs> but, you know, naturally you can cross varieties of plants or the GMO is like going into a lab and making that like happen at either a faster rate or a very like you are targeting a very specific gene in a certain seed crop. And I do agree with you. I think that the the real controversy is people thinking like long term will these changes like affect my body in a different way than the non GMO version? Yeah. Cause they're relatively new, right? Like they were, when was the first GMO invented? Am I wrong to say it was somewhere around the eighties? Yeah, I was gonna, that was, I don't have that date off the top of my head, but that was exactly the year, like the decade yeah. I was thinking of. I feel like that is where maybe they first were like marketed. I think something else that people get lost on, on GMOs is they think there's tons of different GMOs. Right. When in reality, yes. there is like about, I think there's eight crops yeah. currently <laughs> that are actually for market on GMOs. So you know, and a lot of them are for cattle feed as well, right? Like the yes. corn, the soybean, um, you know, there's um, a few different varieties in there. Yeah, there's like some sugar. I think the sugar beets. And then I'm trying to think the soy corn. Oh, yeah. Sugar beets. Yeah. Is yeah. there a cotton? I feel like there might be a cotton, a papaya. Yeah, there's there's not yeah. many. And that's what I always try to tell people, too, because 
again, with the labels, you'll go to the store and something like an apple or whatever, like a just some broccoli will be labeled non G or yeah, non GMO or gluten free. And, you know, if you're educated on that, of course it is, of course it's non GMO, of course it's gluten free, but I guess they're trying to just get the people who are health conscious and they want to see those labels, but not necessarily understanding what those mean. So yeah, uh, yeah, there's very few GMOs available and I believe they're working on some too. Correct. Yeah. So what's funny, one of the funniest labels I've ever seen in the grocery store was a non-GMO salt. And it was like, salt is right. Like, you're not going to GMO <laughs> salt. Like it ocean. will never be a GMO. Yeah. Yes. And so I was like, wow, we've just taken this too far. Like this is just a little bit comical at this point. Um, but yes, they are working on some. I've heard that they are working on like an uh, one for orange because of like a disease that goes through the orange trees in Florida. I think there's work on a few different ones. Natalie and I covered one on the podcast that was actually a wheat variety that would make wheat like gl- essentially gluten free for people with like celiac disease or a gluten sensitivity. Okay. Um a long way out on that, but it was still really fascinating to think about like where technology could go in that direction. So yeah, they're definitely working on other ones. You know, going to the label thing though, you mentioned gluten-free as one of those labels. And it's so funny. I one time saw a gluten-free milk and I was like, you're kidding me. This is ridiculous. I went to our (laughs) co-op and was like, you've got to be joking me. And they said, you can laugh at it, but people will ask us like in our frequently asked questions online, people will ask, is it gluten-free? And so again, it goes to that like, People want to see a label and if it's not there, they're going to assume that that means it, it has whatever is, is in there. You think about us like being very like, you know, tech savvy and, you know, very smart, educated consumers, but we don't always know what all of like the ins and outs of these things mean. Yeah. And like you mentioned, a lot of it is pretty basic. Like you said, there's very few GMO crops on the market. You know that gluten is in wheat and wheat products. And there are some that are maybe a little bit questionable whenever it's like a einkorn or an ancient grain that still has gluten, but you know, I can understand questioning that. But I do think it pays to have a basic understanding of this just to feed your family and to know what you're putting on the table, especially if you're dealing with any allergies. So what are your priorities in your own home? That's probably like a very broad question, but what kind of things are you looking for to serve for your family and your kids? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing for me is we make most of our meals centered around the animal protein, whatever that may be. I mean, even if we're having spaghetti, it's like meatballs and then there's spaghetti, you know, and really focusing on that as like building your plate around that animal protein, What, whether again, steak turkey, chicken, whatever it is. Um, And then kind of going out from there, I'm a pretty big advocate of like whole foods. Like if I'm like, I'm going to feed my family a really healthy dinner tonight. Like that's my mindset. I'm going to just pick whole foods and try not to make it overly complicated. I feel like sometimes when we think about eating healthy, we can make it complicated when in reality, like a simple, you know, cut of meat can be so Mm -hmm. satiating, so appetizing. Like it can go such a long way. And so that's kind of how I try to build my plate. And I say that while like fully acknowledging that sometimes it is something from the Costco freezer section, right? right? That I am like pulling out and making for dinner. But I feel like the majority of my meals, I try to base around that animal protein within the whole vegetables, whole fruit components to it as well. Yeah. You are doing exactly what we do in our house too. And I get people on my YouTube channel all the time who are like, don't you have more vegan options? I'm like, wrong channel. That's just not how we cook. I grew you are up at the wrong on place. a farm. Yeah. Wrong, wrong farmhouse. I grew up on a farm. My dad hunted, <laughs> we raised beef. And so, you know, that was always how our meals were built. And it actually makes for a really simple way to feed your family without having to 
overly meal plan. And it's fun. It's fun to have new and exciting foods. But again, like you, we'll do a cut of meat and it can range from pork shoulder roast to ground beef to, I mean, you know, whatever. Like we get a variety of different cuts of meat, different animals, moose we have in our freezer right now. And then whatever vegetable is in season. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. My dad, he's a hunter. So it's great because he really prefers beef. And since my sister and him both raise beef, he always is just like, hey, who wants my deer? Who wants my moose? And we're all takers because like free fooding, it's delicious <laughs> and it's good. So yeah. But again, yeah, like it just makes for such a simple meal outline to have whatever vegetables in season. Right now we're doing a lot of root vegetable because of course it's winter, a cut of meat. A lot of times we'll just do potatoes. We Very country. We just keep it really basic. I'm with you. I know. I feel bad sometimes. I'm like, I don't really actually cook that much. I'm like, here's some steamed vegetables. Here's a cut of meat. And here's, you know, like a potato like that. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of actual cooking involved. It's like kind of, you know, when you're cooking with those whole ingredients, it's, you know, cooking them essentially to, you know, like soften the vegetables or soften the potato and cook the meat. Um, but it's not like I'm getting too crazy with like sauces and, you know, just like really elaborate foods. But yeah. and honestly, it makes it easy to make a healthy meal pretty quickly on like, you know, a busy weeknight or, or even on the weekends. Yeah. And it's good to know that that's a possibility because we over again with Instagram and TikTok and all the ideas. And I also have a recipe blog, so I contribute to this. But there are so many ideas for complex things. And for the mom who's overwhelmed and just wants to put good, hearty food on the table, sourcing quality meat, vegetables, it can be really as simple as that. Maybe a loaf of sourdough if you're you know, wanting to throw that in there too, but it doesn't have to be any more complex. All right. I want to take a quick break to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Tubes & Co. I've talked about Tubes & Co. on here for a while. I love them for a lot of reasons. I love the makeup. So their eyebrow pencil is probably my favorite product. The foundation actually might be my favorite. I don't know. I like all of their makeup because it is very effective, but it is also non-toxic. It is made with natural and organic ingredients. It's made from a small family company in the U.S. And I don't have to worry about the things that I'm putting on my skin. I don't like to use drugstore makeup for that reason. But I also have had a hard time finding makeup that works and is very effective, but still meets all of my criteria for what I really want in healthy makeup. So I can't recommend it enough. All of my sisters now buy Tubes & Co. We all just love it. But something else is lately I've been getting more into the skincare. I've been using the Tallow Balm for a while and I've also used the Sea Buckthorn Cleansing Oil. But I've just started trying some of the tonics and toners. So they have the Brighten Tonic and the Hydrate Tonic. I put that on before the Glow Serum, which just makes my face feel moisturized and fresh. So a lot of times I will do this in the morning before putting on any makeup. And then I'll do the tallow at night to keep my skin moisturized, which right now in the middle of winter is very important all clean, all natural ingredients, nothing in it that I don't want to have going into my body. Tubes & Co. is offering Simple Farmhouse Life listeners 10% off their order with the code FARMHOUSE. You can head over to tubesandco.com to check that out. Again, don't forget to use the code FARMHOUSE. Let's talk a little bit about, did we talk about dairy labels? You said 
like the, the RBST thing is just dumb, but what are some of the other things to look out for when it comes to that? Yeah. The, um, the dairy aisle, I feel like has now also talking about the chicken aisle, like it's very overwhelming. There's obviously lots of different types of milk now, but speaking specifically about cow's milk, obviously you're going to have your conventional milk, just the regular plain old milk on the shelf. You know, there's grass fed options as well. There's going to be organic options. And then there, I feel like there's going to be kind of the, I'm trying to think what would be like the word in the industry. I feel like it's called like value added product. So you think about like the fair lives that are going to have like more protein, less sugar, like those kind of things, or even like some of the organics I've seen nowadays have like DHA added or, you know, they're, they're trying to get creative. I feel like with the nutrients available in the milk. Um, so yeah, there's obviously a range there. Um, and then there's going to obviously be, uh, I feel like raw milk right now is really having like its moment. There's a big movement around it of kind of like bringing people back to that. So there is definitely some choices out there now in the dairy aisle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We don't, we still can't get raw milk at the grocery store where I live, but we've been getting it locally from a farm for 15 years now, or maybe 14, whatever. My oldest was one when we started getting raw milk, but I agree. It's complex. And my question to you with the fair life, how do they do that? Like, how do they get less sugar and more protein at risk of sounding dumb? I've never even heard of this. Honestly, I would not know it either, um, but our co-op is actually the ones that founded Fairlife. Okay. <laughs> it's now owned by Coca-Cola. We sold it to Coca-Cola a couple of years ago, um, but it was essentially kind of like our co-op's like brainchild of like a super milk is always how I <laughs> refer to it as. And um, essentially it's a filtration process. So it's not as complicated, I feel like, as maybe it seems, but essentially filtering out like the four components of milk and then putting them back together with less sugar and more protein. And what's mm. kind of crazy is I feel like about fair life is with that additional like protein it gives you like a really great mouth feel even if it has less sugar and so it's kind of i don't there's really cool science behind it our food scientists that have worked on that it's always fascinating i could sit in the food lab forever talking with them because it's just so cool <laughs> how they can like pick and choose things like change how it feels in your mouth and how it can cause such a different like uh feeling for you you know like your experience with drinking the milk. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool, like filtration process is the easiest way to say it. Interesting. Okay. I have another question about skim milk. What, why does it taste watered down? Is it actually watered down or cause whenever you skim milk from a cow, the milk resulting below that is still very creamy and rich below the cream line. So what is the deal with skim? <laughs> I know. So skim milk, yeah, it's not watered down or anything, but you're removing the fat, which goes exactly to that mouthfeel. When you remove fat, it does not feel like how it should in your mouth. And what I think is so crazy about this whole skimmed milk, reduced fat situation that we're in right now. Like, I mean, both of us don't send our kids to school, but in schools, you're not allowed to serve whole milk. And it's crazy because if you remove fat, a lot of times you have to add something else to make it like more desirable to want to eat. And so a lot of times sugar gets added. And Mm -hmm. so there is some, there is like really cool research going on and trying to get this into schools that if they would allow whole milk in schools, even if you decided to give kids flavored milk, you actually need so much less sugar in it And it still gives kids the same exact feeling of a really sweet drink when you have that fat. That fat component is so crucial. And beyond just how it tastes, like wanting kids, like being appetizing to kids, we know that it makes you like feel full longer. Like there's so many benefits to that full fat dairy um, that you really miss out on when you go into those lower fat categories. 
Okay. I had no idea that that was a thing. And that sounds so backwards because the fat discussion was fully reversed, like I'd say at least a decade ago. So what's taking schools so long to catch up with that? That's just absolutely crazy. It's another topic we've covered on the podcast a couple of times. We've covered like the raw milk issue being legalized in states, which you mentioned. And I wanted to say we did touch on that. And then we covered the whole conversation about whole fats in um, schools. And it's been going on right now. I think it passed the House, but it didn't pass the Senate to be able to allow whole milk. And the reason is, is because milk a lot of times is classified as a beverage. So when you're comparing it to other foods in that category, you're going to oh, be thinking about juices and you're going to be thinking about mm-hmm. pop. And so then it has too many calories. But what's wild is you're like it's a food like it's an entire complete food source and so it is definitely a little bit backwards but it's it's about that calorie fat content in there and about it being a beverage as well um so i i personally am hopeful i mean obviously i'm a dairy farmer so i'm biased but i think there should probably be more options instead of less for kids in school and being allowed you know allowing the parents to kind of choose for what's best for their kids yeah That's crazy. I know you're a big proponent of food freedom. You touched briefly on the raw milk availability thing. And I know you're not necessarily huge into raw milk or see the advantage of paying more for it. But you are, if I understand, for it being more available, which is something that's so crazy to me. Like, it's just so nuts that it's illegal in some states. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it is so crazy. So yeah, my big thing is like food choice Um, with Discover Ag. Our thing is like, here's the information. Now you take it, make the best decision for your diet. Like we are not here to tell you to pick any one thing over the other. And I feel the same way about raw milk. I feel like on both sides of the raw milk debate, I think I fall somewhere in the middle. I drank raw milk until I was about 25. And it was when I was pregnant with my oldest that I ended up going to conventional. And we'll still occasionally get milk from the dairy. I don't know. Sometimes it's just, it's like you don't want to do work when you're at home. Like my husband's like, the last thing I want to think about is bringing you home milk at the end of my day. And so sometimes it's just easier to pick it up at the grocery yeah, store. It's a little extra effort um, for sure. So yeah. So I, I, I feel like I, I don't know. I yeah. fall somewhere in the middle and I do think like on both sides, there's really loud conversations. And it, I'm like, I think it falls somewhere in the middle. I think if you choose to do raw milk, like do your do do ah, do your due diligence with your farm. Um, there obviously you're accepting some level of risk, but I kind of compare it to like a sushi restaurant, right? Like I'm not going to go to a sushi restaurant. Like I'm not going to pick up raw fish on the side of the road from something I've never, like, I don't know anything about. I consider like raw milk the same, like know your farmer, go ask them what their, you know, their cleaning practices are, how they're sanitizing the bottles. Like all of those things are, how are they testing the milk? Like those kind of questions I think are really important just like you would do with any other food. I mean, I personally, my kids eat raw oysters and I've gotten some like grief from people online when I've shared about that, that it's really dangerous for kids. Mm-hmm. Of course. And <laughs> yeah, of course. And so I it, like, to me, it falls in that category Um, is that like you're accepting a certain level of risk. I think on the dairy farmer side, like the marketing side, when people are quote unquote against raw milk, one of the issues I've seen over and over again, and I've heard this from so many dairy farmers is that when someone gets sick from drinking raw milk, they then go out and tell everyone, you know, like about their bad experience and it gives all of milk Mm -hmm. like a bad name. And that probably, I mean, I think that goes for a lot of foods. It goes for restaurants when something happens. Like if you have a bad experience, you tell everyone. And so I feel like some of the laws that got put in place were kind of like with that idea of mind of like, this is, you know, this, there is foodborne illness around this. How can we just eliminate that and eliminate this entire conversation? And like, quote unquote, ensure public health. Um, But at the on the flip side, it is kind of crazy the things that we have access to 
like you can vape, you right. can smoke, you can drink alcohol, but you cannot get raw milk at your grocery store. I also think if we like pulled it into the mainstream, like there wouldn't be as maybe as much like taboo and questions around. I don't know. I think that I, I see both sides, but I feel like we have to come somewhere in the middle, especially with people leaning more and wanting to kind of go back to, um, you know, the raw milk. As I said, I feel like it's a movement. I feel like it's everywhere that I get asked about raw milk right now. And so I think we have to figure out a way to do it like better and make it, you know, available to those who want it. What I think is interesting though, with this conversation is it hardly ever comes up that you can also get sick from bad pasteurized milk. And that's there. There's plenty of cases if you were to dig into that, where you know people assume that there's no risk to the other choice, whenever there actually is. And there's a lot of evidence to support the live bacteria that's in raw milk actually being a defense mechanism, whereas that has been killed off with pasteurized. So there's a lot to the conversation. I love the idea though that it should be someone's choice, you know. With that, like you said, people speak so loudly when they had a bad experience. Well. One of the things, um, so my degree is in environmental science. And so a lot of the classes I actually took were risk assessment, assessing the risk that people choose to make, whether yeah. that be, what is your risk of drinking tap water? You know, like literally that's what we studied. And I had a professor that would not feed her kids any spinach or leafy greens under the age of 10 because she had deemed the risk too much for her kids from food and born illnesses. And so I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of focus on food born illnesses within like the dairy sector or the meat. Like if you've seen the new Netflix right. documentary, the mm -hmm. you are what they eat, you eat, there's a whole thing on raw chicken and how dangerous it is. And it's like there, there is inherent risk with like all foods of foodborne illnesses. We, we see outbreaks in vegetables and fruits as well. Like there yeah. is some risk there. And so it is kind of crazy when certain areas of our food, no matter what it is, get like skewed in one direction versus another. Yeah. And it, and you have this, you get to live in a happy little world where, you know, there's no risk to anything that's conventional, only risk to things that are deemed unsafe. And it's, the same thing with a lot of things. Like I talk about home birth a lot and, you know, they're just because someone has a bad experience doesn't make the overall data set of that not true. And usually whenever I talk about that, the comments are always, this happened to my sister, this happened to my cousin, like when it comes to raw milk and home birth. And though I'm sympathetic to that, and I bet you if something like that happened to me personally, I'd probably make different choices. It doesn't change the statistical likelihood of that happening to you. And we get really like biased because of personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to our very beginning conversations, like that the internet's going to kind of like show you what you want, this information overload. Like, so if you like, it is that confirmation bias. So you're going to start getting confirmation bias on the internet sent to you mm -hmm. about whatever, whatever side of this is. And so that's both why sides. I was like, absolutely. Yeah, both sides. And that's where I'm like, I kind of just fall somewhere in the middle. Like, yes, do your due diligence on drinking raw milk. But no, I don't think that it shouldn't be allowed. Like, I, I feel like I fall somewhere right smack dab in the middle. It's like that with everything. And the older you get, the older I get, the more I see things as gray. There's, you know, you, you when you first learn about something, it's that, what is it? Dunning-Kruger? I'm, I'm thinking of the wrong thing. But that where you feel like you know everything there is to know about something and then over time, you realize, okay, a lot of things are a lot grayer than I ever thought that they were. And I think this is one of those areas for sure, even though I'm 100% raw milk. Like that's what we've done for 14 years, never had any issue. We've been through probably six different farms over the years, just with, you know, people stopping and moving and whatnot. And so 
I'm confident in that. But again, with so many things, there's just not necessarily like a, you know, this is the way it is, which so many social media influencers, you're going to see such black and white information. Yeah, that's actually like one of our key pillars in the South by Southwest speech that we're giving in March is like agriculture is not black and white. There is so much nuance. There's so many layers to it. There is just it's a lot of information. And I think even within ag, like we get lumped in ag and it's like ag within itself is so incredibly diverse. Like just being able to talk about ag is one thing when you have row crop farmers, cattle ranchers, vegetables, like specialty crops, like it's absolutely very nuanced and so much to go on. And and I do think in the world of the soundbite, the nine second reel, it has yeah. to get turned into like a very yes or no polarizing thing. Otherwise, it's not going to get pushed out, right? Like it's not going to get the likes. It's not going to get the reactions and the engagement. And so it is kind of it, it makes it for really tough conversations on any of these topics because it isn't something you cover in nine seconds. Yeah. And the battle lines are very clearly drawn. We have enemies. We have, you know, you're on this side. I'm on this side. This is, you know, we are at odds with each other. And I like your no nonsense approach, you and Natalie, with the way that you treat subjects that, you know, we can educate. We don't have to necessarily, you know, I'm against you. You don't perfectly align with all of yep. my views when it comes to food. Right. I think that we have lost that like dialogue online. And it's really, it's, it's at a disservice because I even think about like the Netflix shows I mentioned, like you are what you eat, but there's, you know, 20 other ones out there. And on so many of those, I'm like, I wish we actually had someone that was maybe oh, yeah. hardcore vegan and had stats to back it up. And someone that was hardcore, you know, omnivore, whatever. And they actually had a conversation about what the pros and cons of our, all those are. Instead, it has to be an entire film that is only like, you know, this veganism. Way. And then there has to be, you know, an entire, whatever, that's on the other side of the spectrum. And it's like, I wish we we hadn't lost like the art of like conversation, discussion, debate. Like, you know, we think about debate in high schools um, and it feels like we've lost that, that uh, component of our conversations. Yeah, I guess the biggest problem with the way social media is, is we can start watching in a certain category things. And then of course the algorithms feed us more of that. And then we just become more insulated to our views and, Ugh, when you go down to the comment section, it's just all so, so tiring. I get, I get very, very like just overwhelmed with the internet. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, I'm sure we all do. <laughs> all right. Tell us about your podcast, Discover Ag, a little bit about your mission there and where else everyone can, the listeners can follow along with you and what you're doing online. Yeah, so we've talked about the podcast a few times, but every single week we cover the top three trending news articles in the ag and food space. So they can be anything from, you know, the release of Wolves in Colorado to, you know, something that is very much pop culture. So this week we covered Vampire Diaries that they, some one of the actors from Vampire Diaries has a farm. Like it is like all spectrums of within the food and ag space. Right. <laughs> but we kind of try to see what are people sharing online? What are we seeing a lot of? You you know, I mentioned like the, the raw milk debate. Natalie and I were being sent that over and over again. And it was just like a clear, like, we need to cover this. Like, what's yeah. going on? Which states are trying to pass this? Which ones is it illegal in? And again, coming from that, like, fact-based while making it really fun and engaging in the conversation. And again, like, I mean, we give our opinions on things, but it is definitely, um, I think, one of our mission, like, 
core missions is that food choice component of like know about your food, maybe connect back to a farmer or rancher um, and just have that tie to agriculture. You know, ag and food is something we all consume three times a day, all throughout the day and yet know so little about. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, I think, really like the core of Discover Ag. Yeah. Yeah, so many episodes as I was scrolling through them, just preparing and trying to understand the mission better that I'm, I'm going to dig deeper. I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to this whole episode, this whole episode, so many good topics. And I do love the entertainment factor of it because it is very relevant. It is essential and relevant to all of us. So thank you so much, Tara, for sharing your knowledge. And for those of you who want to dig deeper, head on over to Discover Ag. There are plenty of episodes for you to enjoy. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast. Make sure to go check out that Discover Ag podcast. And over on Instagram, they share a lot of information too. If you like more of that short content, personally, I like to dig deep into conversations through podcasts. And so I know I will be putting that in my ear over the next couple of weeks. See you in the next episode.